We are here in front of Balls, one of the greatest establishments in Gainesville, uh, with Nick and Silk and our friend Jeff Pope from Fango Tickets. Jeff, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. And, uh, looking forward to hearing a little bit about Fango. We talk about Fango on the pod every episode, but want to chat with a little bit about Fango Tickets. What's the problem you guys are trying to solve, and why did you create this business? Right. So, it all starts about a couple years ago when the I, I'm a Gator grad, living in. Tampa, Florida, and I have lightning season tickets, right? So a couple years ago, the lightning were playing the Colorado Avalanche in the Stanley Cup. And just out of curiosity, I had to list my tickets for game six, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> and unfortunately, or so just out of curiosity, I went and I, I looked and saw how much my tickets were being sold for on another platform. Mm. And, and they sold, and I got my money back, but that competitor ended up getting $600 out of that one mm. transaction for two tickets. So that's when I was like, hey, I need to, I need to build something. Now since I you know, come from, I, my education's from the number one public school in, in the nation not now. Not a big deal. Not, right. <laughs> so luckily I had some, you know, the knowledge of how to yeah. try to solve this problem. Yeah. And, and so it all just started out as me trying to solve this on purpose, um, for myself. So I created an app where you know, I can list all my tickets and if friends and families have the link, they're they're welcome to go on in any game and, and tell me they want my tickets and you know, boom, they got them. So so how are you guys different from a, a ticket master and AXS and and how does your your system work when when it comes to listing tickets and buying tickets? Yeah, besides just the the low fees, the no fee. Well, we're at ten percent fees right now. Okay. But but if you go and sign up today, the first hundred sellers will get free fees for the whole year. Oh wow! So. All credit card transaction fees, all you know, platform fees, everything, everything's cop for the first year. Okay. Um, but yeah, besides just being about no fees, low fees, we also want to go beyond game day, be, go beyond the game. So we think, you know, going to a game, going to a Stanley Cup championship game might be yeah. a once in a lifetime event for anybody, or going to the Florida Tennessee game, yeah. or going to a Florida Florida State game for your first time. You know that we want. To be able to cultivate that experience and help that be more than just you know going and buying on a competitor app and being just picking dots on a map and we want we want it to be a more personal event so here we cultivate a transaction between directly between the seller and the buyer mm -hmm. so that we don't have to be that middleman mm -hmm. and we don't have to charge that crazy fee i love that i love that so beyond just being able to list your season tickets i know you guys are trying to do a little bit more on the experience side and if this is somebody's once in a lifetime opportunity to go to gainesville or go to tampa or go to cleveland you guys want to cultivate what the cleveland cleveland that's where yeah. i'm from yeah, yeah oh, that's where he's from yeah uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's cold. I got out. <laughs> One of the few. Um, so, so what does that look like? What are you guys trying to do for the overall experience beyond just right. being able to provide the ticket? Right, right. We're trying to work with local businesses as well as our sellers are more experienced. So mm -hmm. Like they've been to hundreds of games. Mm -hmm. Our sellers have been to you know tens of tens of hundreds Browns games or ten or Bucks games or Gator games. So when you get that direct connect to one of those kind of sellers mm -hmm. and they can give you help you cultivate that experience and help mm -hmm. you get the most tell you where to go before game day tell you what hotel we're working on you know getting connections with local businesses to uh, have partnerships and hopefully maybe one day you know we'll we'll add to that experience where hey we can give you 10% off to this hotel or 10% off that. to this restaurant that we suggest you know it's not just 
the popular places aren't always the best places to go on game day. I love that. I think it's Zach Bryan that said, all my homies hate Ticketmaster. And I, think, I think the rest of it is, and all my, my boys love Fango tickets. So, <laughs> to, <laughs> so, so from going on, if, if I want to list my season tickets, I, I can go on and say I have 41 tickets to the Lightning for the, for the regular season. I can go and I can block out and say, hey, I definitely want to go to these 10 games and put the rest of the 31 on there in just one seamless transaction? Yeah. By default, we list all 41 games for you and we set them all as unavailable. So okay. we, we, at, we assume you're going to all 41 games. And so it's that for on you from there to mark the game as available. And whenever you do that, it's as easy as flipping a switch. You set the price and it's instant from there. Man, I love that. So let everybody know where they can go uh, to, to, to list their tickets or to go buy tickets for the Florida Gators, Tampa Bay Lightning, Tampa Bay Bucks, the Cleveland Browns, and Ohio State Buckeyes. Yeah, so it's Fango tickets on both uh, Twitter or X and Instagram. And then... Uh, go apply at www.fangotickets.com. I love that. Well, Jeff, thanks so much uh, for helping us put us in, put on this event with the Gator Nation Football Podcast. We appreciate your support. Go to fangotickets.com. And uh, thanks again, Jeff, for your time. Thanks for having me. Go Gators. Go Gators. Boys and girls, ladies and gents, welcome to another episode of Stadium Miguel. We're reporting from the social at Midtown with the Gator Nation Football Podcast. And this is powered by Fango. Make sure you go purchase all your tickets. Also, post your tickets on Fango. Uh, and Allen Horn Insurance, who's a state form provider. We got some special content for you guys today, man. Dan, how you feeling? You good? Yeah, I'm feeling good. A pleasure to have Allen and James join us. Nick, I appreciate you guys carving up a Tuesday afternoon. It's gonna be a lot of fun. Uh, we're just gonna talk a little bit about the Gators and you know, this season, kind of what we expect, what we've seen, uh, and just kind of get some different perspectives. You know, it's good to, to bring the Gator Nation guys uh, in today. Uh, so, so James, Allen, want to get uh, your thoughts on, on the season thus far. The Gators are three and one, uh, some ups, some downs, but, but James, start with you, bud. But we did our, our season predictions, you know, before the year, and essentially it ranged from we could win maybe seven or eight, and in disaster mode, we could win four. Right. After Utah, we revisited that, and it was like it could be four or five. And now we're at three, so it feels like with the defense that Florida has, uh, seven or eight is achievable with the defense alone and maybe a 50 to 60th ranked offense, which is where we're trending. Uh, but most of our games obviously are, are coin flips. So, you know, to me, it's sort of where I thought maybe we would be. It looks a little different, but I, for one, could not be more excited about the defense and, and Coach Armstrong. I think we have a, a guy that's a top-level talent at that spot, and I think our on-field coaching, as we know from last year, needed that. So for I'm excited sure. about that. Yeah, the coin flip stuff is both exciting and scary from a fan perspective because you go into every game maybe one or two things are going to happen right. and you don't know which way it's going to go but from just a pure entertainment point of view it's awesome because you you don't know like not, we're not just going to go rolling through the sec east like we're the oa gators or something like that i don't know if the timeline has that same thought process yeah. i don't know if they think it's yeah, super well, fun to go like, into every saturday not knowing what's going to happen it's been four different uf football teams have showed up, right? Mm -hmm. Obviously, yeah. completely full of mistakes in game one. Game two against McNeese State, they're firing on all cylinders. Game three, they get out quick. They go real conservative in the third quarter, or, uh, second half, third quarter, fourth quarter. And then this last game against Charlotte, offense moves, but we can't score a touchdown. Mm. So, got to try to put them all together. Um, Alan, want to get your thoughts. Let's talk offense real quick, because you got a lot to talk about defense too, but Graham Mertz, 
uh, internet was not happy <laughs> when Graham Mertz was coming to Florida. Uh, Billy Napier said they evaluated 32 guys. The internet's like, which 32 guys from what high school did he evaluate for Landon Graham Mertz? He's doing spectacular. Read the SEC completion. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I like him. I think he's what we thought he could be. He's probably playing towards the top end of that kind of variance. We haven't seen a bad Graham Mertz performance. But I fully thought he was capable of this. So it's not surprising. You know, I think the limitations that we're facing as an offense is not Graham Mertz limitations. There, there are other things that are holding this team back from getting where they want to go. The offensive line, Nick. Let's talk offensive line. Yeah, I mean, offensive line is just a spot where you need cohesion, you need consistency and familiarity, and you've only had, uh, what, uh, one, uh, two games where the offensive line was the same five? Mm -hmm. um, right, right. You haven't had Kingsley Aguak, and I think he's going to try to give it a go this week, but you're just plugging and playing new pieces. And, like, you can do that at receiver. Um, you can do that in, in the backfield at running back. Uh, but if one offensive lineman out of five has a bad play, the, the play tends to just be bad yeah. overall. So uh, that's going to be a huge thing. I think Kentucky this week um, blitzes a lot. They'll bring, bring people from other places. I wonder how Graham Mertz handles that. Florida did not handle their first road test um, from a uh, handling it with offsides, false starts, um, holding, stuff like that. How do you handle it this week? And, and if you have a, a brand new offensive line again, if Kingsley can't go or um, if Damian George is, is limited, then how does Florida's offensive line handle uh, essentially the same size stadium uh, that they failed in in Utah? Hmm. James Allen, you guys study the tape far more than we do on our podcast. Offensive line, James, I know, it's, I know you're bread and butter. Everybody loves watching it. Uh, what's been the offensive line? Has it been that they've changed – individuals every game or change the starting five area what's what's the issue with the offensive line well we said on the pod yesterday that it's possible at least in my opinion that kingsley maybe is if not the most important but the second most important player on florida's offense right now that's in large part because of the zone style that florida tends to run with and we run with some power uh, the center and Billy's and Billy's offense has a lot of responsibility on making sure they get that stuff correct. And obviously with the true freshman playing behind him in Slaughter, there is a definite drop off in just what you would consider to be correct movement of the offensive line versus Tennessee. It was by far the best we've seen that line perform just from a, a technicality aspect. And so if, if Kingsley doesn't play in this game for me, that may be the guy we'd miss the most, just what we've seen on film. So I think he might be the main driver of that. We've seen some pretty good performances in other places relative to the youth of where we're at. Uh, but I think all in all, this line at best would be average if everything is clicking. And I think we've gotten more or less what we've expected. It's a tough pill to swallow. Which is, if everything is, everything is good, it's, it's, probably, reality, it's probably average. And, and right now, I think all of us here know that, you know, Mertz has had the, the third least amount of time right in the sec to, to complete pass it's like 2.37 seconds uh, which is very low oh, I know from experience. right and that does have to do with shuffling things around but also i do think when kingsley's in there there's a level of stability he brings to this unit so i think he's extremely important this season i question like like stapleton and sales certainly have a type if you're not six five 320 you're probably not getting swiped right um on, on their recruiting dating app so 
Is that that kind of guy? Like you say, they run more zone concepts. That's not the body type for zone. Zone, you're, you're getting guys who are 6'3", 290, can run and move in space. Uh, and Florida's building like this gigantic wall of human and then asking them, hey, how are you also running and flowing through the offense? That is a great question and one that we've been unable to answer. We openly talked about that, and I'd love to get an answer from them because it is a mismatch. If you look at the NFL where you know this zone scheme's been run for 40 years, it's always exactly what you just said. That is the prototype, and Florida is deviating so significantly from that. And on film, you can see that we have a very hard time getting into the second level with any kind of you know, consistency because these guys just aren't fast enough for that kind of stuff. And when we do tend to run gap style, we're pretty good because these guys are more of a power blocking unit, uh, but we still probably spend 80, 85% of our snaps running zone scheme. So I don't know the answer to that question. It's very interesting and it doesn't really seem to fit with what you would want if you're going to have, you know, zone offensive linemen. So that's a good question. That's a new t-shirt, run power. Run power. I got a question for you. Um, just from a schematic standpoint, there's been, I think, like, Grand Mercer has been great with accuracy, uh, efficiency, but it's been a, a lack of explosive plays. Uh, what, do you, what do you attribute that to? You th is Graham not seeing something on film, or is it Billy just playing move the sticks and possess the ball? Yeah, I think it's, for me, it's mainly scheme, which wouldn't be a surprise to anyone who's listened to me talk about it before. <laughs> and I think it's funny. It's like I, all of us here, I don't think any of us, I, I certainly wouldn't describe myself as a, a hater of anything or a lover of anything. You're That's just, my role. Okay, there you go. You're just negative. You're just analyzing, you're analyzing what you see, and you're saying, this is what I think could fix the situation. Not that, um, it personally, it doesn't matter. Do it one or the other. But I think what we see on film is we don't see a lot of Florida receivers open. And then we also see, last year we saw it too, I think a mismatch with Florida's personnel. If we all know as coaches that we have trouble on the O-line, then we probably need to not run as many play action passes. We probably need to try to go vertical. We need to do that by using some pre-snap formation shifts to get predictable man-to-man -man matchups and take some shots that we know are safe. But Florida seems reticent to do that. Just like last year, it's Billy's system. We're gonna run it no matter what the scheme or fit looks like. And right now, Mertz has not had a lot of opportunities. Last game, he did have a couple that he missed, that Florida ran an out and up that was nice, they had another seam go that was nice. Uh, but if we're hit, you know, nitpicking like two or three a game, right. it's not yeah. enough. So I think the margin for error, to kind of put a bow on this, Billy's offense in the passing game creates a tiny margin for error. And if it's not working, it's almost like it's just not there. And if you look at success rate, which we talked a lot about yesterday, an advanced stat, on passing down, second and seven or third and five and longer, throughout all of Billy's career, it is by far the worst part of his offensive scheme. And that's intuitive. It passes the eye test. But I think that, Silk, answers your question is that we have a scheme issue. It's not a Mertz issue. I'd love to see Mertz get a chance to make some of these throws. And Mertz is doing a good job keeping Florida on schedule and minimizing it and not turning the ball over uh, and obviously just hitting the passes he can. But I'd like to see him get a chance. And I think Florida has to have this happen if they want to win more games yeah, down the field. Yeah, if we had better offensive linemen and faster receivers, this might work more efficiently. Mm -hmm. But the reality is we don't. And we don't seem that we acknowledge that. Right. Yeah, I, th yeah. I don't think Billy's a, a coach that can uh, kind of scheme towards personnel. So it, the more he gets his guys in, it may become more successful. Mm -hmm. um, that's why I think we're seeing, I guess, more uh, the younger guys playing because they fit the style of play that he wants. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be a struggle for a little bit. And I've started to question if Graham, like last year, Anthony had the latitude to change plays at the line of scrimmage mm -hmm. to get you out of something. Um, I, maybe Graham is, isn't there yet. Like, I, I, there's a couple of looks mm -hmm. um, watching your show last week. 
you're seeing fronts where it's like if I'm the quarterback and we're in a run play, they've got nine in the box. Yeah. There has to be a kill or a check or something to, to get us out of this. Yeah. And instead it's like, what if we just ran our forehead directly into this wall and see what happens? Yeah, so this is really funny that you mentioned that exact point because from what I understand, Graham has full control of the audible system. But we saw this last year too. We see it again this year. Coaches do this. I have to believe there are overrides in place, and you're mentioning them right now. By all accounts, Graham is like a football savant. Mm -hmm. That guy watches more film than anyone else is. Uh, yeah, one of our, you know, friend of the program, Danny Warfel, talks a lot with him and talks a lot about the fact that he's like a, he's like a football guy. Like if this guy's sitting right here right now, he's breaking down film with the best of us. There's no chance he doesn't count the numbers in the box and think I'm checking to a pass unless there's an override. And uh, a story I'll share on that comes from Danny since we mentioned it. Danny leaves Spurrier and he goes to play for Mike Ditka. And at the time, Spurrier is a finesse coach, which would always bother Spurrier, but Spurrier would say he was just winning with innovation. And Ditka was old school. So they're in the league, Danny gets in, it's some of his first action, and Danny's like, we're calling the play, and the opposing team knows exactly what we're gonna do. They're calling out our exact play, they're running through the B-gap you know, power lead. And hands the ball off, they get smoked. Ditka calls timeout. He is just killing the team. I don't care if they know every single play we're running. It's about effort. It's about heart. It's about beating the man in front of you. And Danny was like, Mike Ditka gave the best pregame and halfgame speeches of any coach he's ever been with. But when it came to innovation, his mindset was old school. And Spurrier wasn't going to give a speech that made anybody excited. But on the field, he was diagramming and diagnosing stuff to get you open. And so I think that is what you're mentioning. I think it's more of a Mike Ditka slash conservative, get a little tight mentality. Third and one, let's be safe, let's run the ball. Where I think Mertz, if I'm playing quarterback, you've got to be thinking, this is what I'm waiting for. Yeah, yeah. And so I have to, without information, take a guess that that's probably not a Mertz thing. Mm -hmm. you, you think it's more personnel of what they have now and trying to fit in? Corey, I want your opinion on this too. Is it more personnel of this is who we have, this is what we have to run with this week and this year uh, do you think that there might be some changes as those guys that kind of fit that Billy Napier mold a little bit more so what are your thoughts it, it, it's rough because our offensive line leaves us limited mm -hmm. in, in, in my mind like once we we lose a guy or two it's hard to get creative with the playbook because you don't have time to even run plays it's hard to run plays if you don't have time so um, do I think we see some changes through this season? I think we start seeing younger players play. Um, like some of the receivers that aren't getting open, maybe a, a younger explosive guy like Mazzell, mm -hmm. uh, maybe he run that same route. He gets more open because he's, he's an explosive sprinter. Um, but that's the only change I would see would be with like younger personnel that could get open, but I don't expect any change scheme-wise as far as the playbook, play calling. Let me ask you two a question. The big controversy, at least in <laughs> my mind, or the big question is, Will Billy make a change at offensive coordinator, basically demoting himself and hiring somebody else? Are you in favor of that happening, or are you still wait and see mode? I, I'm in favor of it. I think I think um, the game has just changed, man. Like you have to CEO this thing a little bit. You know, you're, you're running a Fortune 500 company at the University of Florida. It's NIL. It's dealing with these 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 players, whatever they got going on in their personal lives. You're dealing with a lot, and I just think he has to delegate that. You need a mad scientist like Austin Armstrong that's going to be in the, in the film room to three in the morning, you know, just just breaking down stuff. Um, is it an easy thing to do? No. Um, you, nine times out of ten, you want somebody that's in your system that you kind of uh, a protege, I would say, that that you could kind of delegate that play calling to. Because now, who's that guy? You know, and, and trying to find somebody that runs Billy's offense, like. 
That's a, I think that's the hardest part, right? Is because you get to where you are in your career, head coach at the University mm. of Florida, usually because you're very good at doing one thing. In Billy's case, it was right. it was offense. And at some point, you have to take that role over as CEO and say, hey, I was very good. That's what got me here. But there also can be somebody else that might do this a little bit better than me with everything else that's stacked on my plate, right? Like, and he's totally given that to Austin Armstrong, mm -hmm. right? Like, you saw, I saw it at the Tennessee game when Austin Armstrong's calling his defense. Billy is on literally the opposite other side. side of the with field. his Waffle Respect. House menu, yeah. looking like what's the, what's the next set of set of plays. But, but for what us. I do, but I don't want him to do is have to do that mm -hmm. the entire time the defense is on the field. I want him to be able to coach and spend time with whatever he needs to do and manage on the field. But to not be able to watch defense because you have to scheme what your next drive is going to be, that limits your ability unless you're a brilliant offensive mind. Obviously, we've seen some head coaches do it and do it successfully, but. Even the best and the brightest in the NFL are now having to hand that responsibility over. Even Jimbo lied about not calling plays. Even Jimbo uh, lied and, and letting Petrino do it instead. I don't think Billy was like Spurrier said. If, if you got your job because um, you called plays, why would you give that up? Like you, you're here because of that. I don't think Billy was hired because he was an awesome X's and O's Saturday coach. He built a program at UL. He recruited better than anyone in the Sun Belt uh, most mm -hmm. of the years he was there. But it's a pride thing. It's, it's like, hey, I, I got fired as an offensive coordinator at Clemson. I got passed over to call plays at Alabama. Mm. I got a chance, and we were really good at UL. Yeah. Why would I give it up now? And I don't think he has an ego to the point where if this season trends poorly and you've got you know, a Will Muschamp type of Florida team where the offense is in the low 80s and the defense, you're like, man, if, if you could just score 17 points a game, you might win a game or two here. Um, I think if he looked at it and that's what the reality became this year, he would consider giving up his play calling duties. But if and that would that would mean it would have to go poorly. But there, that would mean that there had to be a change on the coaching staff. You could. I think right Russ Callaway is the only coach that has play calling experience on staff, and he's been here two years with Billy the, as an analyst and now let me, coach. Let me ask you all a question. Would Gator fans, if they finish in the 80s and it does, doesn't look good on offense, would the Gator faithful, and I know that that's not who's getting paid and they're not the ones calling the plays, right? But they're certainly loud and proud, appreciate the ones that are here. Um, would Gator fans be happy if they kind of went bargain bin and found the tight end coach that they were kind of upset that they didn't go out and search for a different tight end coach that has experience calling plays at Samford? Are Gator fans Yeah, I think they'd gonna, be thrilled. They'd be super think, pumped. So Nick says thrilled, thrilled. James? <laughs> I mean, that's obviously, I think, very sarcastic, but in season, yeah. you'd be excited. Right. right. Obviously, in the offseason, I think you're looking for a guy like Armstrong uh, to fill the void. But I think you hit the nail on the head uh, when you talked about this, Dan, and you nailed it. No one, and you can look back and find it, no one that glowed about Billy Napier as a coach ever mentioned his offensive acumen even one time. And go look at what they said about Armstrong. Savant, genius, next level, new guy, new wave, tactician. That means a lot to me. What they did say about Billy, culture, rock solid, likable, builds a program, detailed, disciplined. Right. And so to me, if the five of us are sitting here and I know that you're super good at culture and you're really good at on-field tactician mm -hmm. stuff, whatever, we need to play to our strengths and be humble enough to know that if I give you that responsibility, we're going to do better. I think and hope that Billy is humble enough for it. But I also understand like we're all people. There's things we love to do. I mean, what's more fun than calling plays and drawing up offense? Like, it's the most fun part about football. It's what I like the best, too. So to give it up is really hard. I get it. But hopefully he's looking at what's best for the program. And I think it's really hard to find a narrative now that says that Florida's offense, you know, 16, 17 games into his tenure, 
looks like an accomplished championship level program. And even if you imagine all the pieces being there, you got to deal with what, you know, my guy, the Dolphins coach, Mike McDaniel, said recently. When you're designing offense, you design it to break the rules of the defense. And the biggest problem I have on film study is the old school mentality is you design an offense, it's a Swiss army knife, and it just kind of maybe works against everything rather than the McDaniel philosophy. If I know you are going to do this, I'm going to run this exact play against you to break your own rules because I know you won't cover that spot. Mm -hmm. And that's what we just don't see on film in the passing game from Florida. And that, and you mentioned that silk, that to me is an outdated philosophy, but most importantly, it's, it's a less efficient and it lowers your expected value on offense. So that is why I have been saying I really feel like Florida's better off getting a guy who has more of that mentality rather than the one Billy has, even if all the players are there. There's a lot of like reaction for Billy's offense. And, it's, and when you look at Graham Mertz, it's like, hey, why is Florida dinking and dunking? Well, they're just taking the layups that are given to them. Mm -hmm. But at what point as a play caller and as a guy who's running an offense, do you stop reacting to what defenses are trying to do to you and start forcing a defense's hand say hey listen this is what we're going to do this saturday and we'll see if they can stop that instead of like well we have a couple game plans and if they come out in a cloud three then this is the one we'll go with and if they're going to be play more man and blitz and then this is what we're going to do instead of dictating what defenses do against you instead of waiting to react to what they're showing i know we want a uh, a successful season but i mean if he goes from six wins to to eight nine wins uh Buddy, that's you progress. Like, like, what, like, what do we do then? Like, everybody's mm -hmm. watching this season. SEC East is wide open. Um, we could very well, if this thing clicked like it did the first first half of Tennessee, you know, you go win eight nine games, you can easily sell progress, you know, within the program, and that may keep you from getting OC. Oh, hundred. If Florida wins nine games, you're not getting an OC. An OC. Right. Well, maybe. I guess if it's me again, if I'm if I'm on the staff, I'm thinking, can I get to a championship level? Right. And maybe you win nine games, but you do it because your defense finishes top five and your offense finishes 55th. But I think to your point, which I, I still, this is the big question with, with Billy is, he's so systematic. Does he feel like when I get all my guys in, it'll be enough? And it will be better. I think that's fair to say. The offense will get better when he has more guys. We saw that already in Tennessee just with having Trey run the jet sweep. The defense respects it. They miss tackles. But it's hard to suggest it would be good enough in general. And so I think it's going to depend on the style. We talk a lot about style, Alan and I, but to your point, the average fan probably just sees the win increase and thinks we're good. Let them, let them keep cooking. And maybe if you look deeper, you say, but this is not going to get us from here to there. Uh, and that's the big question that we're all trying to answer now. Time will tell, right? Mm -hmm. I, for one, am hoping that we, we blow the doors off and just turn the corner on offense and look awesome. But I think the data on film would say, just like the data on film for the defense said, we're looking good. The offense looks like it is what it is. Right, right. What, my last offensive question, you, these guys mm -hmm. might have more. Uh, what, what is the struggle of Montreal Johnson right now, in your opinion? I mean, I think the data would say that it's just a, it's just a, broken, it's a broken tackle rate. Mm -hmm. If you look at ETN, he has, I think ETN's number one in the country right now, if this is correct, at broken tackles. Correct. Number one. And, what, and if you look at, you know, you can look at all sorts of great things, like, Florida's 36% of their runs are contact at the line of scrimmage. That's true for ETN, too. It just means that he is, he is making that first guy miss. But I think, to really make it reductive, ETN is so quick to the hole. So quick to the hole that he's probably a full step or step and a half of where Montrell is. And that allows him, I think, to get more out of the offense. Where Montrell excels is Montrell has better vision right now than ETN does, especially in zone. He'll see the cutback lanes a little better than ETN will. 
but if those lanes aren't there, which they're not there this year, I think what that explains to me is like, with a weaker offensive line, take a more explosive guy who breaks tackles better. If the offensive line's gelling, I think ETM was, was still learning how to maybe maximize zone running. But to me, I think what we know for sure is that right now ETN is a much more productive runner. Does that mean we should run him a lot more against Kentucky? I would say so. Are we going to? I think that will be interesting because I do think Billy's been a good personnel guy. Yeah. I think he plays the best guy, and that's how he runs the team. So I expect to see ETN get more shares, more carries of the uh, – you know, this weekend, and, and I think we need him to. We, we need him to, to break those tackles. Yeah, I was reading, I think Montreal Johnson is averaging about two and a half less yards per touch before, or after contact. So, uh, I know that, that came out a little weird, but um, you think there's a little bit of load management? Alan, be curious to your thoughts, a little yeah. load management this week. I mean, the Gators only have three scholarship running backs, right? You have Montreal Johnson, Trevor Etienne, and Trayon Webb, who's a true freshman. A little load management, maybe? Or? Yeah, I would have not have run ETN in that game at all. If I, I just give him like two or three carries, I think we gave him more because the game was still in doubt. Right. His brother was going to tweet out. Yeah. Well, I, I think if you have, if you're looking at the data and the yards per carry and the, all the advanced stats, if you're smart, you go, okay, I need, I would rather have him later. I shouldn't need him for this game. And maybe they're hoping to get Trey on Web 15 carries. That didn't happen because the game was too tight. But yes, I would. That would be what I would hope, and I, I don't have any reason to doubt Billy in that area. I think, and you want to, you, you still want Montreal Johnson to have significant carries. You don't want to run eighteen and twenty-five times a game. Right, right. All right, uh, let's move to defense. Gators uh, get addition by subtraction. Patrick Tony takes a job uh, with the Arizona Cardinals. The Gators then go uh, grab Austin Armstrong, who was at Southern Miss and then Alabama for six or seven hours. Comes <laughs> to UF. Gators now have a top five defense. Not only do they have a top five defense, they, they seem to be improving on the defensive line. The linebacker group, Jay Bateman, got to give him his flowers. We're seeing some freshmen really step up in the safety room. We got a couple of uh, thoughts and prayer tweets today by some, some older safeties on the, uh, uh, on the team. But Bible scriptures, yeah, baby. some Bible scriptures. It's the time of the year. So, scripture season. Scripture, scripture season. season. What, what is it about? Soka, start with you. Austin Armstrong's defense. I mean, energy's electric. What? What, what do you think's brought Florida from the doldrums to, to top five? I mean, the scheme is is I learned through. I, and shout out to these guys. I, I learned about Austin Armstrong's scheme after we made the hire through these guys' uh, podcast and their content. You guys do a great job of just breaking it down and, and dumbing it down. I play ball, but you guys still dumb it down for me sometimes. You know what I'm saying? So I appreciate that. Um, but I just think uh, the scheme is, is is very good. He's a genius with, with just scheming against offenses. He really gets into like the, the, the nitty gritty with trying to stop some of these teams. But the energy, um, I think, is contagious. It's, it's a lot like Kirby Smart, Muschamp in his prime. You know, it's big on the sidelines. He comes from that pedigree, and you can just see the players react to it and respond to it. Um, so outside of the scheme, I'll let these guys get into you know scheme wise, what, what why it's so excellent right now, but. I think the energy fits, you know, uh, watching him on the content that the, that the team puts out mm -hmm. is, is very contagious. You can see guys like Tyreek Sapp, you know, uh, Cam Jackson, a lot of leadership and, and, and just some of the older guys are responding to him being on the team. So from that point, you know, energy wise, he just brings a different level. Patrick Tony was very not, nothing against him, but he was a very reserved, quiet, laid back guy. Him and Billy was too much alike in yeah. that in that in that fashion, in my opinion. I agree. 
Uh, it seems like we're maybe getting Corey Raymond the opportunity to do a little bit more coaching, call his scheme a little bit right. more. Uh, you're seeing a lot more press man coverage this year, uh, this year compared to last. Alan, James, kind of want to get your thoughts. Austin Armstrong, I mean, you couldn't really ask other than maybe a few more turnovers. I mean, these first four games have been spectacular for him. Yeah, I mean, he, I think he is him is the right modern <laughs> phrase him to use, him. right? He is 100%. And, uh, you know, we like to call him Coach Ham on the podcast, or at least I do, because from Sandlot, there's the great Hambino. You can't tell me that. And first, yeah. it kind of looks like him, but second, the energy that you mentioned is so, I mean, there's so much confidence yeah. coming out of Armstrong that it's like, this guy is him, man. He's walking at the pool, he's blowing kisses to the girls, you know, he's, yeah, 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 yeah. he knows he's that what he's, he yeah. knows that what he's doing is right and it works. Yeah. And that confidence is carrying over to the players and they know that if they do their job it's right and that's the most remarkable thing on film that we have seen from last year to this year is that first of all like everything on my wish list is accomplished like whether it comes to run fit gap control rushing as a unit instead of as one guy uh how we play the edge versus teams that want to send running backs into the flat how scooby is now a revelation at linebacker because we use him correctly but to me to be elite you have to have top level talent and you have to be an excellent communicator and he's both those things, and that's hard. There's a lot of guys who understand football really well. One thing I'm interested in this week is, uh, we know Austin Armstrong would love to send 11 guys, just bring pressure from everywhere. I think Florida has the potential to get pressure with just four, that you might not have to, like against Tennessee, where you're like, hey, we're, we're gonna have a single high safety, and we need you guys to play man-to-man because we need to commit another guy to the box. I think if Florida can get pressure with four, you might see, hey, Devin Leary's windows now are a lot smaller, uh, and if we can get to him with four, now you're going to see him having to try to force some things in and maybe lead to an interception. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. The film would show that simulated pressures have really hurt Kentucky. Their offensive line has not picked them up well. Austin Armstrong runs some of the best ones, and Florida has great personnel to do it, especially with Princely, who I haven't mentioned yet. Princely becoming a guy who's able to bubble out and cover the flat is like a revelation for what Florida wants to do with how they will send a linebacker oftentimes opposite the running back, and they're basically walling off the backfield for any of those short passes. Kentucky's weird. We said it on the pod. They get better with their passing success as they go down the field. Mm-hmm. So behind the line of scrimmage, zero to five yards, they're struggling. Leary likes to throw a lot of like straight up strong arms, strong arm balls a little further down the field. And to your point, I think if Florida can get home on those sim pressures and take away the first read, he's often not going to get a second one. And that's already shown up on film. And, you know, Coach Ham has been amazing at taking away first read stuff, something we haven't seen at Florida for a while. I think the matchup favors Florida defense versus their offense. Uh, And then to your point, the randomness is going to be Kentucky's oddly really high explosive rate. Third in the country in explosive plays, yet their success rate is really low, which tells you that they might run six plays, five of them are pretty crappy, one's a touchdown. And so that is going to, I think, probably determine the game. And they have eight or nine drops this year. So if, you, if you're not dropping the ball, how high? How high would it be? Yeah, yeah, yeah much be. better. So it's going to be a challenge, I think, for Florida. Very different style team than we faced before. They run under center a lot. But I think their, I think their running game is, is suspect because of their line. I think I have questions about their line. Not about Ray Davis, who obviously torched Florida last year. If you recall him running all over us, we hope not to see that again. I don't think that is. Florida's number one in the country on rush defense, on success rate. I mean, they're, they're locked down versus the run. We're starting to see a lot more of, of the two freshmen at safety. Are we at all concerned going against Devin Leary with two true freshman safeties back there? Well, with, not with 
I, we were debating, is it Castel? Castel? What's, what's Castel, I believe. Castel. Okay, good. We need a confirmation yeah, on that. Castel. We open I'm not the guy for that. No, uh, <laughs> you, you just looked, threw it you out looked, there. You, you, you submitted it, it now. Yeah. He says a lot of stuff yeah. with his chest. Yeah, 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 he looked at me crazy when I was like, oh, Mike and Mazooka, like a rhymes of Mazooka. He's like, you're an idiot. Actually, Alan told me that too when I said it was Mazooka. He told me the same thing. He still looked at me. He was like, there's no way that combination of letters creates that sound. I concur. But anyway, I, I'll just call him 14. I have <laughs> zero fears about 14. Uh, Miguel Mitchell, you know, I, I, there's a lot to like about him, but still is a you know first-year starter. So I, I think that would be the place where you could get him a little bit. But 14 has been unbelievable. But, like so. you, but, but we had 16. Bryce Thornton played a lot last week. Do you think we see Bryce Thornton continue to play more? Or? I hope he's so. 18. He's 18. Oh, yeah. Moten's 16. Yeah, Moten's 16. 16. Yeah, definitely talking 18, not 16. Yeah, definitely 18. Uh, I would love to see um, uh, Bryce Thornton more. I think he's uh, got great football instincts. Mm. Uh, there's a couple of plays towards the line of scrimmage that he made that was, if he didn't make that tackle, we had somebody running wide open on that play. Uh, but I think Bryce Thornton has some great instincts. And at this point, man, like, we've seen older safeties get barbecued. So, like, <laughs> I'd rather go with the young potential, you know, and risk an uh, aggressive mistake. You know, a guy that can come up and make tackles. Miguel Mitchell struggling with making tackles. Uh, he gave up the only touchdown that we had this past week. So, I'd rather go with the young, aggressive freshmen than older guys that are making the same mistakes, to be honest with you. You want a younger cookout? Younger good guy. Younger cookout. Younger cookout. Thank younger cookout. Younger barbecue. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to get everybody's opinion. You guys obviously watch more film than, than we do. Well, I speak for myself when I say that. Uh, best cornerback on the team this season. Nick? Jalen Kimber. I like that. I, you know, I'm going to go with a guy who's not playing enough, in my opinion, which is Devin Moore. Talk about it. Yeah, I mean, that's it. I, mean, I, I think he's the best corner on the team. I think there's a big take we said on the pod this yeah. week. To me, I think Jason Marshall is, is your third best corner right now based upon yeah. film and performance. What we do with that, I don't know. But, you know, last year, Devin Moore, I thought, was the best corner before he got hurt as a freshman. And this year, I think he definitely is. Kimber's been, been really solid. I mean, Florida has a, a blessing of talent at corner, which is why I think it's hard to explain keeping three maybe in there for as many snaps as he's getting when you see these other guys that are, I think, performing at a higher level. And that's not... A knock on, on, on Marshall as much as to say, hey, hey Marshall, if you're listening, like, you got to pick your game up. you got guys behind you that are playing really well. You have the luxury of just locking yourself in because you were a five-star and you're talented. Right. So. You, you, I've been on this Devin Moore like, bandwagon for, for a while, man. Everybody's been saying Jason Marshall. And I get the five stars, but when you cut the film on and you just look at physical abilities, Devin Moore is, is going to be an all-pro if he stay healthy. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's been his thing, it's just, you know, being healthy, availability. The best ability can't make the is club. availability. Yeah, you can't make the club in the tub, man. So <laughs> if, if healthy, yeah, you got I go Devin Moore, hands yeah. down. Jalen Kimber's actually having a very good season. I liked him last year, even with the yeah. cast on his hands, but yeah. he's definitely that playing better. That interception with the club was, yeah. was, was impressive. pretty majestic. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I'm a big Jalen Kimber guy. I'm big, I used to be a big Jane Hill guy. That, the season does very, go as Jaden Hill goes. I said last season, Jesus. the season would go as Jaden Hill goes. Obviously, Jaden Hill didn't go very far the Gators. He's doing a great job at Star. He's been really solid, really solid. He's playing a lot better ball, man. I'm, I'm impressed. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't disagree with the Marshall takes here. I, I, 
obviously he has a ceiling that's pretty high and you want to see him hit that but also these young guys are playing really well and I will say we it feels like star nickel has been a problem for so long yes 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 and yes. for that not to be not a, a worry for this team so gotta give Jaden Hill a ton of credit for playing a position that he just switched into so well and and for a second let's talk about that because that's what Kentucky is going to challenge Florida with they have three receivers who are all competent they're targeted almost equally in the past we look at that and say we're dead because that means our nickel's got to cover somebody. But now, that's not, a, that's not a worry. And then after them, there's a huge drop-off. They lightly throw to their running backs. They lightly throw to their tight ends. So that's a luxury. And we're going to see. I think this will be the game where, where Jaden Hill shows us is the knee. It looks healthy. It looks like he's back to how he was pre-injury. We're going to find out in this game. He's going to match up with real receivers in the slot that they want to throw to. He's going to get challenged in this game. Let's talk defensive line real quick. We mentioned Princely. We haven't talked about the defensive tackles. We've seen a resurgence there to a point where Florida has depth. I mean, I, I think we saw Desmond Watson only played nine snaps uh, last game against Charlotte. He was playing damn near 50 snaps last year uh, per game. So uh, defensive line, who's been the, the biggest surprise for you? Alan, we'll start with you. I don't know if he's a surprise, but Cam Jackson, yeah, was as advertised when you're bringing him in. I, He's a guy who's been dominant at times, but I love all these guys. Caleb Banks looks great. McClellan yeah. looks great. Even when they're bringing in the real inexperienced guys like Jabari Lyons. Like, I mean, everybody that were out there does the job. And to me, Tyreek Sapp, I, he's really done an admirable job of playing really what's probably out of position for him. Like, he's kind of a, a tweener a little bit. But... I was worried about a pretty big drop-off with Justice Boone going down, and that hasn't been noticed. Obviously, it's that we're not like hitting the high-end sack rate stats, but uh, all those guys have done great because I think they've been doing what they're being asked to do, and then you're seeing some of the flash plays from the defensive tackles, which is excellent. And Tyreek Sapp got the uh, shout-out from Warren Sapp. So, Silk, who's been your defensive guy? Um, defensive line Defensive guy. line is, is so many to choose from, but I like Tyreek Sapp. Like, a, a lot of what he was just saying, from a standpoint, he was asked to Justice, Justice Boone go down. You're asking him to change positions for the team. He's been doing a little bit of that his entire career, just moving around inside, outside. But to see, again, like his on the field uh, tenacity and just from the locker room, the passion that he plays with is just next level. Uh, we, we could talk about like the on field stats and the scheme, but it's hard to find. You look in the last five, seven years to find Gators that are playing with passion. Yeah. You know, it just tap, it just, it just hits a little different. So, yeah. uh, I'm gonna go with Tyreek Sapp from that standpoint, man. Just versatility, and you know, he brings bringing some energy to that defensive line. Man, I mean, I just love talking about our our defensive line. To think when Boone went down, we were worried because that was the spot where we didn't have a guy behind right, him. And you right. just mentioned Sapp comes in and Florida playing a lot of two gap this year. Uh, the D tackle spot and all those guys seemingly doing a really good job of that. That's not easy to do. And then our D tackle is just generating so much pass rush. I mean, Caleb Banks on film frequently is just erasing the guy in front of him. Um, I have a hard time picking just one because they're all working together, which is what you want to see. Like they recognize, all right, if, if the guy to the left of me is going to push in his lane and I push in my lane, one of us might get the pressure, but we're going to both do our jobs. Uh, and I, I really, I mean, I, there's a million guys to name, but I'll just go with the freshmen. Mm -hmm. To have freshman defensive linemen in the SEC 
making plays like we're playing, whether it's Cersei, Kelby Collins blew up on film this past week. I mean, these guys are competent players out of the gate. You don't see that very often, and so... You do. We, you still all have Alabama, you have Georgia. It's all different kinds of places. And so yeah. I want to pause for a second and say, for Billy, we talked about the offense, and we focus a lot on our pod about that frustration because I love offense. But it, she should get a lot of credit in general, offense and defense. The younger players, he's hit on so many of them being quality contributors. That is an immensely important skill for a head coach. So I want to take that moment to say that. And I'm going to cop out and not name one because honestly, I just you love them. These guys are all doing it. It just seems wrong. It's like all these guys are so good at any moment. I mean, I love it and I love the energy. Like I said, they're playing with a real edge. It's yeah, uh, even with like Cam Jackson has that same level of passion as well. He's dealing with some tragedy in his personal life, but you know, leadership on the field, you can see Cam picking guys' heads up, uh, him telling them we had three or a couple bad practices or whatever. He, he's coming out and telling them guys like that in the media and also in the locker room. So, yeah, I'm with you, man. The whole unit is, from top to bottom, is super impressive. The one I'm most surprised by, I think, is Caleb Banks. Because yeah. I thought, didn't play much uh, at Louisville. I told probably you. Probably a project. I told you. Good find, Pro- Nick. Probably it's a project. Good find, bro. Um, I watched all that. I, I, I'm so like, like I, I try to find any glimmer of hope, you know. Like, so I hear to see this name Caleb Banks. I look at the stats. She's like, this guy hasn't played. Uh, so I'm scouring the internet and I seen practice film, and I told you, I, I like his get off. I think, I think he got an impressive get off. I'm gonna find some type of spark. You know? I like it. Something. Yeah, yeah something. something that, yeah. Um, you were right though. He's pumping fine. that sunshine, man. <laughs> yeah. You know That's normally what I do. Pump sunshine. Um, so I, I'm surprised. I didn't think he would be a guy that one would start this year or, or that would play a ton. Um, but, but to what James said, I think their, Florida's defensive line and their defense as a whole is probably just like the sum of all their parts. There's not a really a first-team All-American player on this defense, but you get seven, eight guys rotating in on the defensive line. They're keeping the linebackers uh, clean, so the linebackers are flying around, uh, and they're making plays because they're not having to worry about a 320-pound guard shoving his face mask into their chest four yards up the field. Right. Um, so I think it's, it's really just the sum of all the parts. Um, but I think in terms of who I'm surprised is Caleb Banks has surprised yeah. me the most. Tyreek Sapp was a stand-up edge rusher at St. Thomas Aquinas, go Raiders. Um, they, asked him to then, plug. they asked him to then play defensive end. He's like, all right, cool. I weigh 230 pounds. Need to gain some weight. Then they were like, "Hey, defensive end's nice, but what, if, what about tackle?" He's like, "Okay, well now I weigh 250, so like let's try 270." Like he's at the as he weighs as much as like his body can healthily weigh. And then Boone goes down. They're like, "Hey, what about that stuff you did like in high school? Yeah. If you just wanted to like three years later now do that?" Um, yeah. And I said, "Listen, it's going to be hard for him to do that. He gained weight the right way. Gaining weight's a lot more fun than losing weight." Um, but I wouldn't doubt him. And, and just to see the way that he's just done whatever the team has asked him to do, now playing you know, back to a position he played when he was a freshman, um, the team kind of like looks to him, and as they've released more stuff on social media, you're seeing why like the team has looked yeah. to Tyreek Sapp, even last year when he wasn't playing a ton. Yeah. All right, let's, let's wrap this up. Got to talk game changers a little bit. Mm. Social, our special teams mm. has been nothing. Awesome. Uh, special at all this season. We Florida did hasn't get, had a kickoff return yet. We have not had a kickoff return. Pretty special. It does look like Florida has their place kicker. Surprisingly, it is the five-star that was not kicking. Surprise. <laughs> doing, a, doing a pretty decent job at that. Um, James, Allen, Silk, Nick, what the hell is going on with special teams? Uh, we can't get 10 guys on the field. 
Notre Dame can't do it on defense. We can't do it on special teams. What the hell is going on you, with our you, game changers? Are you the one who was like, what you call them, just the game changer unit? The game change unit. You're missing the 11th letter? Yeah, yeah, you haven't earned the 11th letter of what your unit's <laughs> called yet. No, that's not too good. Come on. Come on. So you can see if if you get the specialist right, it looks better. If you have smack in there and then Crawshaw is not shanking punts weirdly. But the fact that you're still having just the elemental can we get the right guys on the field in game four is kind of troubling. So if you have this unique like alignment with your coaching staff where you're just like, oh, we're just gonna give this to an analyst. When it starts showing up at that level, then you have to start asking questions like, are we doing this the right way? I mean, way? You, we can go on our phone right now on Amazon. They sell mats with 11 circles and you can just put the 500 bucks, you put down this $500 mat and then the coach says, hey, I need 11, I need people standing on these 11 dots. <laughs> and then when we go on the field, don't take the mat with you, but like the 11 of you that were standing on the dots, just go on the field and do, and do the play. Like, it, it, it seems like there's a big Should budget. We just go on Amazon and send it to send the it facility. To, yeah. Yeah. yeah, just yeah. send it straight to the straight facility. To the couch, to the couch household. Mm. Uh, James, <laughs> want to get your thoughts. You analyze a ton of film. How many different groupings does Florida likely have for them to have this many issues with getting 11 guys on the field? With well, 11 different numbers. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, that, that's a question there is why don't you just tell your guys you can't wear the same number if you're going to be on special teams. I mean, whatever. But I digress. The answer is Florida has played a lot of what you would consider to be safe, punt safe. Right. And that is not necessarily their fault because a lot of times, as we've seen this year, Florida's like frequently pinned inside the five-yard line because opposing team special teams are drilling all their punts perfectly. It is a clinic. And it also means their field position has been pretty good when they're punting. And so that tends to be like a lot of fourth and three, five, 50-yard line, 45-yard line, when you probably want to be in some safe. That's not an excuse to mess stuff up. But I think when you have that, you do have a lot more overlap, to your point, with players, where you're going to have a returner, maybe two guys you sub, not the wholesale unit change. It doesn't matter, though, like you were saying. Most other teams do not have this problem on special teams. They make sure they're rallied up and ready to go. Obviously, as soon as it gets to even third down, you're lined up and ready immediately. Everyone's there. Florida looks like they're not ready for that. And uh, I think it's fair to say that we have two years of data now to indicate that this game-changing unit, which is such a tragically horrible name for a unit that's been so bad, is yeah. so bad. Yeah. And in the Utah game, there's a few plays that really changed that game. And it's mm -hmm. fair to say it could have been a different game mm -hmm. if that doesn't happen. And sure. so to have mm -hmm. this still happening at this stage is negligence for with, with lack kind of, of a better term. Accountability, right? Seemingly right. none. Some, Gloss over some it. snarky remarks. Nick, I don't think the I'm getting, I'm, I'm right getting yelled at. I'm yeah. getting yelled and at, I think, more than anyone else. Guy, game changer. Right now, and I, don't, I don't think, to be fair to Billy in that, I think he thought incorrectly the question was about not having a return guy back there, which is certainly fine in some scenarios. In that scenario, the game's late. It's, right. it's essentially over. They're waving a white flag by punting. We don't need somebody back there Fine, to get that. But I, I think the, it did not address the issue that was there's multiple times there were 10 people on the field again. And, you know, I did like to see Notre Dame obviously came out and openly said, we, we, I thought a lot of really nice honesty. We messed, we messed it up. Yeah. They could have lied. We knew it. We didn't want to, you know, no, we actually missed it as coaches. We're going to fix it. 
I think they have, they've got to fix it is the bottom line, right? Like if it costs us a game this week against Kentucky, it's unbelievable to think to what you just said. You could hire any one of us right now on special teams. We'd make sure we didn't have duplicate numbers. We'd stay on the sideline, get 11 guys in the field. And it's not that hard to just get 11 guys in the field, you know? And we're struggling to do it every single game. Yeah, I think to go with such an unconventional way to, to coach special teams with the way you set the staff up, you, you should have been competent enough to know you're not making those type of mistakes. You know, you mm -hmm. set the staff up different. You don't have a special teams coach. So at this point, you know, after last year's blunders, I said all offseason, every show damn near that. I'm watching special teams, <laughs> man. Like, I want to see some growth and, and some maturity. Mm -hmm. You're getting Billy. You're getting a guy that, you know, it's a long play. It's going to be some inexperience mm -hmm. missing there, some game time situational stuff that, that he's just not going to have the experience to go through. He's going he's, we're going to go through some rough spots. But at this point, you're talking special teams, man. Like, that unit is supposed to enhance the team, mm -hmm. not, hurt the team. not hurt the team. And every game, it has hurt us and not enhanced us in any way. And it's the same thing last year. And for, for a guy that is so organized and preaches organization, <laughs> preaches dotting every I, crossing every T, it just – Right. I don't, I don't know. I've got a weird sense. I find that funny because, like, Billy is very. You could ask Billy, like, what they did at Clemson in 2007 on Wednesday, September 25th, and he has that written somewhere. He can yeah. pull that up. Um, He's like Rain Man with organization, unless mm -hmm. it's about special teams. He's like the Men in Black, like little laser thing. Yeah. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. Just getting right? ready for my next offensive yeah. drive. Wait, we did special yeah. teams where they were out there. Yeah. Um, but we're all big fans, Billy Napier, a friend of both of our programs. Uh, let's uh, let's wrap up here, guys. We have Kentucky uh, this week. And Nick already picked the Gators to lose. So, Nick, do you want to change that or do you want to stick with that? I don't feel super strongly about that. Okay. Um, but I did say all off season that Florida was going to beat Tennessee and lose to Kentucky. So I'm kind of just like standing you in the paint. got to balance that negativity out a little I'm bit. Just, I, I might pick I might pick Florida on Gators Online this Friday no, no, just to yeah. just to yeah. get both bet. sides yeah. of the fence. Um, so I'm really just like standing on my business from all off season. Okay. I don't feel great. I think it was like 24-17. I think it would be a low scoring game. Turnovers could cause Florida to blow Kentucky out. Um, but looking at Florida's defense, like I don't know outside of Florida coughing the ball up on offense that Florida's going to get blown out really in any game outside of Jacksonville this year. No, yeah. no, we ain't getting blown out of Jacksonville either. I don't like that. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't like, I don't even like, I don't the, like the sound of that. that. I'm just gonna start needling yeah, yeah. you about Jacksonville. <laughs> don't you wish that on me, Ricky Bobby? <laughs> oh, what, do you, what do you guys What do you guys think about uh, Kentucky in this matchup? Before I get like, before we wrap this up, what do you What do you think about a Kentucky matchup? Man, I think the reality is like Mark Stoops runs a defense that you know rarely plays man. Less than 20% they play man. They play a ton of zone in the back end. They keep everything in front. They have good linebacker play. And in reality, that is exactly how you play against Billy Napier's offense because it's not an offense that challenges safeties two-on-one. It's not an offense that challenges linebackers two-on-one. Kentucky uses their conflict defenders really well, either their nickel or their outside linebacker, to play both the run and the pass. We saw it last year. Billy had no answer for this. It looked like AR broke mentally in that game. Things were so bad. He needs to have a different answer this time because Stoops runs what Stoops runs. He's very interesting as a D.C., because he doesn't really run necessarily what you would consider to be like specific game plans per team. He's not a Belichick. He's like, this is what I run. We're gonna run it. And in large part because their personnel often doesn't allow them to play man because he doesn't recruit to that. So all that to say, our offense versus their defense is a matchup where their defense is fine. It's fine, like success rate, middling. It looks great on regular stats, but I think middling, what happens there? Can we score enough? Do we not turn the ball over? I think on film, our defense, 
has a decided advantage versus their offense, even though their offense is the best part of their team. But how do you figure out how that's going to turn out? I think you could play this game 10 different times and get 10 different results based upon probably just a couple of plays. Uh, and that's why I think it's so hard to they, predict. They have like, a, like a, it's not like a prevent defense, but it's like an umbrella. Like you just line yeah. up here. We're keeping, keeping everything up. in front of this. Yep. And Florida has shown, listen, if that's, if that's what you're giving us and you got, you're giving us five yards of cushion, like we're going in the paint and we're laying the ball up, you're going to see some of that dink and dunk. But they do a really good job of rallying to the football, uh, Kentucky's defense. But I've seen Mark Stoops outcoach Dan Mullen, who I think is a great Saturday coach. Dan Mullen, X's nose, drawing up a game plan, adjusting the game plan in the game. I think he's great. And and Dan lost to Mark twice. Mm -hmm. I don't think Billy is that same level that Dan was on Saturdays. And and that's kind of where I leaned when I picked Kentucky. Like I've seen. He also lost to McElwain. I mean, listen, Jim. Before Jim McElwain self-destructed, they had that thing cooking recruiting-wise. Defense. Recruiting-wise. Recruiting-wise had that Saturday thing cooking. Still. I'm sorry. <laughs> the topic has not won, changed. They won the East twice. Yeah. Well, it's going to be. <laughs> yes, they did. You're correct. Florida did win the East twice. Ah, there you go. Good point. Yeah, great point, Nick. I mean, it's going to be close. I think most of the time, again, if you run, you simulate this 100 times, it's going to be close more often than not. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about turnovers earlier. Who has them? That's the most reductive way to talk about a football game. I think that really is going to be. I, I picked, I think, 2017 Florida yesterday. And it, when you pick it that close, anything can happen that, again, you know, entertaining or scary, depending on your uh, yeah, yeah, viewpoint. Yeah. I do like that Graham Mercer is not turnover prone, right? And their quarterback is. Um, I think the key is going to be, you know, we already know what our passing schemes are like. Uh, and what we're going to take what they give us. But if our running game is explosive, if Trevor Etienne is his own point like he was Tennessee game, I think we can jump up two possessions and, and control the time of possession in the clock. And I think that's Billy's, like, aim. Oh, he loves milk in the clock. Oh, for sure. That's his yeah, bag. Yeah, yeah, The clock is his udders, and he's just the milkman. You know what I mean? um, At least he's not, like, celebrating it, though. Like, that was Will Muschamp, like, sell, like loved <laughs> Time of possession. Yeah, yeah, big time of possession guy. Like, like post game when, like, yeah. when the NBA when they start looking at like the stat sheets, will they like they had to like, highlight it for him? Like, hey, yeah. don't like get lost here. There's your time of possession. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, James, we have a winner out of you. Yeah, I picked Florida to win 21-20, which is Ooh. funny because I really think that Florida does win. They probably win like 21-10. But I'm acknowledging all the incredible randomness that's probably going to happen in this game that I can't attribute to. But again, you're flipping a coin. Just sit at home, flip coins. See which one it lands on. Uh, there's a lot, though, to be intrigued, I think, from a football perspective, and mainly on Florida's defense. Again, how does the blueprint to stop Kentucky look like? And on Florida's offense, we said, kind of funny, might seem interesting, I think if Florida has a 41% or better completion rate on third down, are we 41% successful on third down? We probably win this game. Now, in the season, we're at like 33%. And Kentucky, surprisingly, is, is not a good third down defense. So that actually is the, is the chink in the armor. I think if we do that enough, I think our defense carries a day for us, closes the door and gets a W. But, man, good luck. I would not bet this game even for a second. This is so all over the place. Silk, I know you picked the Gators from Mount Stadium and Gale. Sticking with it? Yeah, same thing, man. 17-24 is where I got it at. What about you? I think I picked 24-16. I think it was a weird score. 
26-16, Yeah, you know, I that don't know. Right. A lot of field goals. Yeah, yeah just some field right. goals, maybe right. a missed extra point. You know, you can't trust college kickers. Nick wants to. No, I no, no. I, I do think it's a game. It, it is kind of weird to say I'm glad the game's at noon and not at 7 o'clock. Honestly, uh, it's Commonwealth so, Field kind of. Commonwealth Field, so the first time I went there, um, they had just finished renovations. Like, it's not loud because it's 61,000. Like, the only uh, stadium I've been to that really rivals Florida is uh, LSU yeah. uh, in terms of loud and, and how crazy they are. Um, but it does, they are into it. Like, the, the fans show up, they're there, it's going to be sold out. Um, they rushed the field two years ago. That was wild to see. Yeah. Um, I think I think that is a good thing. Now listen, there's going to be bourbon flowing at 7 a.m. Like mm -hmm. the fans sure. that are going to be there are not going to be like wiping, you know, sleep out of their eyes. They will be ready, uh, ready to go. So, but I do think it is an advantage to have it as a noon game rather than seven. Uh, you can consume a lot more bourbon for a 7 p.m. game than you can for a noon. We're <laughs> up to the test, Nick. Challenge well, accepted. Challenge accepted by me. Uh, so, uh, ready to get out of here? I want to thank James and Alan. Thanks so much from the Gator Nation Football Podcast. Why don't you guys plug social media where they can find you, follow you? Um, yeah, pretty much just uh, hit up anywhere you're on social. Gator Nation Full Podcast, GNFP, and you will see us there. Uh, you can also reach us on email, which is outdated, but people still do it. So if you want that, we're there too. <laughs> uh, sorry we didn't bring uh, any any hair to match your hair. <laughs> <laughs> the best hair we could bring was, was Dan. Hey, me and Dan got hair. Looks, look, your hat, your hat is clean, though, man. I love uh, Anytime the state of Florida is on a hat like that, right there on the side, yeah, you got to give that to the pit thing. It's clean. I like that. Well, thanks for having us. Oh, yeah, yeah, awesome. It was all, this was awesome. Uh, this is you know, this top was notch. An absolute blast. Uh, thanks to uh, Social at Midtown for hosting us today. I think these guys, uh, you can follow us, obviously, on State and Gale uh, on all social media. I think we have an email, too. Maybe it's on our website. Maybe it's not. Who knows? Uh, but, man, it was, a, it was a pleasure seeing you guys, meeting you guys. Let's do it again soon. And thanks, everybody, for watching. Go Gators, and we'll see you guys soon.